tonight is taken from 1 Timothy, chapter 6, verse 3 to 10. False teachers and the love of money. These are the things you are to teach and insist on. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good evening. Uh, my name is Joel. I'm one of the pastors here at Wollongong Baptist Church. If I'm yet to meet you, I would love to meet you afterwards. Uh, we do not have dinner, unfortunately. Uh, after dinner, that's my bad. And so if you're hungry and you're, uh, or if you're hangry and you're annoyed at me, uh, that's the reason why I can blame myself. Uh, but I'd still love to chat to you afterwards anyway. Um, this term, we're studying the book of 1 Timothy in a series entitled Shipwrecked. And each week, basically, after the sermon, we have a time of question and answer. And so if you have any questions for tonight's sermon, please text it in to that phone number, and I'll try my best to answer it afterwards. Uh, but before we crack into this uh, part of the Bible, I'm going to pray. And so I'd love it if you'd pray uh, with me. So how about we pray before we dig into this? Uh, Father God, we want to thank you so much for your word. And Lord, we want to thank you so much for how it teaches the truth and it points us to your son, Jesus. Uh, Lord, we just pray tonight as we come to it, Lord, that you may challenge us. Uh, in particular, Lord, you may help us to reflect on how we use our money. Uh, and Lord, you may help us to pursue contentment uh, rather than money. Uh, and Father, ultimately, we pray, Lord, that you help us uh, to not be shipwrecked in regards to our faith, but instead to be strengthened each day uh, and to follow your son, Jesus, whom we love. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I used to go uh, scuba diving with my father uh, many years ago, and it was a lot of fun. And I specifically remember one time I went scuba diving. And the reason why I remember uh, this dive is for two reasons. Uh, number one is because I was scuba diving on a shipwreck, uh, which is not why I'm telling you this story. Uh, but the second reason as well that I remember this uh, dive was on the way to this dive location, my father and I got pulled over by the police. Now, you're probably thinking... Naughty, naughty Joel, what were you doing? Were you, you know, were you speeding? You know, like, what did you do wrong? Well, the truth is, I did actually nothing wrong. And it wasn't actually in Australia, but it was actually in Bali. You see, my dad and I were going on this dive trip in Bali to this specific location. And when we got pulled over by the police, neither myself nor my father were driving the car. And we didn't, weren't doing anything wrong. But the reason why we got pulled over was because that we were white tourists and because the police wanted a bribe from us. You see, in Bali, on a few different occasions, and that was one I remember, my parents had to uh, give money to the police, not because we'd do anything wrong or we're on a private road, but we're actually on a public road, but they were corrupt, and that was the way the country worked. 
Bali is one example of many countries that have corruption. Uh, years ago, I went to the country of Myanmar, which is a great country, but it's filled with corruption, which has damaged the people in a lot of ways. Our world is filled with corruption, and even our country is filled with corruption. The truth is, you just need to look to, I guess, politics. So you can think of the Watergate scandal in America. You can look at sport and FIFA and the scandal of the recent World Cup bids and the presidents that have had to resign due to corruption. And even this year is basically the year of corruption. As in April this year, the Panama Papers were leaked. 11.5 million papers, which basically explained and pointed out how pretty much almost well, so many people in this world are corrupt, be it politicians, people in power, people who are rich, or government workers. Corruption is a, is a thing that is unfortunately throughout our whole world. And I remember that day when I was going on to that scuba dive, and I remember how conflicted and just how angry I felt about that time. And the truth is, I think you're, you probably would be just as angry as I am on the topic of corruption. You see, I think none of us here likes the topic of corruption or likes that it occurs. I think all of us, when we watch, I guess, TV movies or police shows, when there's a corrupt cop, uh, cop or a corrupt judge and, and they get that what's coming to them, like we celebrate. Like, I don't know about you, but the reason why I like Batman is because he comes and he brings justice to a corrupt city of Gotham. You know, corruption is throughout our world, and unfortunately, corruption has also been in the church. Uh, maybe you've heard of uh, the Crusades, which occurred in the Middle Ages, or, or maybe you visited the Vatican that is in Rome. Both of these things, the Crusades and the Vatican, which is an incredibly impressive building, were funded by corrupt priests or corrupt Christians. Christians who were saying, if, if you give us money towards these crusades, towards us going and murdering people, if you give us money towards this incredible fancy building, God will forgive you of your sins and pardon you. Corruption is an issue in the church, it's an issue in our world, and also, if we're honest, it can be an issue within our own hearts. Because the truth is, is that all of us attempted to get what's best for us. All of us attempted for the lure of money as well. Specifically, it begs the question then, uh, for us as Christians or the world in general, how do we avoid corruption? How do we avoid corruption? That's tonight's big question, and we're going to find an answer to that in tonight's text in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 2 to 10. You see, this book of 1 Timothy is written from Paul to Timothy, and it's written from Paul uh, to Timothy, who's a pastor of a corrupt church, basically, of a church that has false teachers, bad teachers, that are teaching not because they love people, but are teaching so they may gain money for themselves. Specifically in this passage, we're going to come across two tips on how to avoid corruption. And the two tips I want to give you are this, and I'll repeat it throughout the sermon, is tip number one, we are to pursue the truth. We are to pursue the truth. And tip number two, we are to pursue contentment. We are to pursue contentment. Now, maybe some of you are thinking, okay, Joel, this passage, corruption, I don't know how corrupt I am. Like, how exactly does this apply to me? Is this going to be practical or not? Well, the reason why we got Anthony actually to come up and be interviewed and to talk about money, which, by the way, we, we very rarely do that. It's the first time we've done that this year, is because tonight we're going to be talking about money, and it's a very practical and a very sensitive topic. And we're also going to be talking about what it looks like to be corrupt when it comes to our thinking of money. And so I think it's quite a practical passage and it's one that can be quite challenging for both myself and for you. And so my encouragement would be for you to come with me on this journey as we look at what the Apostle Paul teaches us from 1 Timothy 6. And so, 
With all that in mind, let's look at the first tip the Apostle Paul gives, which is he says, to avoid corruption, the first tip, pursue the truth. Pursue the truth. Uh, I don't know about you, but when I think of corruption, I think of the mafia, um, probably because uh, they are corrupt. Uh, they pretty much define corruption. Um, but that's not the reason why I want to talk about the mafia. I wonder if you've ever played the, the game mafia. Uh, not one on PlayStation or Xbox, but the social game mafia. Uh, if you haven't, let me explain to you how the game works. It's when there's like a group of people, maybe say about 10 people, and uh, you get um, split into three different types of people. You have uh, people who are the mafia, they're bad, they're wicked, they're evil, they're corrupt. Then you have um, the assassin who is trying to kill the mafia. And then you have the civilians, they're the innocent ones that also want to get rid of the mafia as well. And and the way the game works is basically the mafia is trying to convince everyone that they're actually not the mafia. And so they're lying to people, they're accusing other people of being the mafia. And, And meanwhile, the civilians and the assassin's job is to try and discern who's telling the truth and who's telling lies. Who is the mafia who we can vote them off and get rid of them? It's a game of discernment. It's a game where you're trying to figure out who's telling the truth, who's telling lies. Apostle Paul's first tip to avoid corruption is to pursue the truth. Pursue the truth. But it begs the question, how do you do that? Like, like how do you know when someone's telling you the truth or if someone's telling you a lie? Like, how do you know if someone's the mafia or someone is a civilian? Well, in the first part of this part of the Bible, in verses 2 to 5, the Apostle Paul gives us three things to look for in teachers, to tell if they're telling the truth or if they're telling lies and are corrupt. And the three things that he wants us to look for, which will help us in our process of discernment, is to look at a teacher's content, look at a teacher's character, and then look at a teacher's motivation. Their content, their character, and their motivation. Let me read to you 1 Timothy verse 2 to 3 again, where it points out in terms of the teacher's content. Apostle Paul says this. He says this to Timothy. He says, these are the things you are to teach and insist on. What he means by that is basically all of his said, everything he said before in 1 Timothy from chapter 1 through to chapter 5. He says, these are the things you are to teach and insist on. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to this sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. The Apostle Paul says, as you try to pursue the truth and you're trying to discern who's telling the truth and he's not, he's saying, look at the content of the teacher. Look at the content. And what he says is begin with, if, if someone's teaching or preaching to you about God or about Jesus, see firstly if they actually are teaching what I'm teaching. See if their teaching is in line with Paul's teaching and what he said here in 1 Timothy. But then more than that, he says, see if it actually agrees upon Jesus' teaching as well. See whether or not they're contradicting Jesus' words in the gospel. And then finally he says whether or not this teaching is godly, if it leads to godly behavior or ungodly behavior. You see, the Apostle Paul is basically saying, look, if you're trying to discern between a false and a true teacher, look at their content. And specifically, as a summary, he's saying, see if they teach the Bible. Like, like see if the Bible is what they're teaching you, or if they're just trying to teach you their own topics and their their own things that they like to talk about. What's their authority? Each week, as I come here and I preach to you guys, I say, open your Bibles, and my hope is that you bring your Bibles to church. And each week we have question and answer time afterwards. And the reason why we do that is to try and convey to you guys that we want you to be studying the Bible. We want you to be looking at it. We want you to be asking questions about it. You see, we don't want you just to trust whatever we say because our authority comes from the Word and the Word alone. And that's, what, that's why also as a church, we teach books of the Bible. 
That's why we teach 1 Timothy or we teach the Gospels or the Old Testament because we know the authority comes from God's Word and God's Word alone. You see, our job is not to get up here and make you feel like, whoa, what a great preacher, what a great teacher. Our job is to get up here and help you point out how great is this book. It points to the great God of the universe. This is what Apostle Paul, he wants Timothy to understand that teachers have the same content as Jesus and as himself who represents Jesus. Later on in the second uh, letter that Paul writes to Timothy, in chapter uh, chapter 3, verse 16, the Apostle Paul says this about the Bible. He says, All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so look... As you come here to WBC and you listen to myself, Rod, Mark, or someone else preach, make sure we're coming preaching to you from the Bible. If you visit another church, sit under it as long as they're teaching you the Word of God and not their own agenda. And so, you want to pursue the truth. Firstly, look at the teacher's content. But then secondly, Paul says, or points out to us, look at their character. Look at their character. Let me read to you verses uh, 4 uh, to 5. The Apostle Paul says this, um, If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and the godly teaching, verse 4, they are conceited or arrogant and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of a corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth. Apostle Paul says, if you're trying to discern truth and lies, look at the teacher's content, but then also look at the teacher's character. Look at the teacher's character. And specifically, he begins by talking about whether or not the teacher is humble or whether or not he's conceited. Humble or whether or not he's conceited. Uh, When I was at Bible college for the last three years, um, I was studying with a a lot of lecturers who were incredibly smart people who had PhDs and, and written a whole lot of books. And in particular, it was quite humbling. And uh, what I found as a general pattern, though, which I was blessed at the college I went to, though, is even though these people were incredibly smart, incredibly, so much smarter than me, a lot of them were also much more humble than me. I remember, oh, let me tell you about one guy who's probably um, a guy called Alan Thompson, probably, I reckon, the best lecturer at my college, and has probably written, the, I guess, the most successful book uh, or commentary. Uh, and I reckon he was by far probably the most humble man I also met at college as well as I was training to be a pastor. Let me give an example of of Alan and of his humility. Uh, On a mission trip, or basically like a work experience trip, uh, we went to Lismore uh, to go do some evangelism. And specifically, we left Lismore to go to the town of Nimbin. I don't know if you've heard of Nimbin. It's basically the drug capital of the world. Uh, And we were doing walk-up evangelism with guys who were high and were trying to sell us cocaine and marijuana as we're trying to sell them Jesus. It was uh, a very unique situation. And I remember that morning, there's a lot of people on my team, and, and I don't mean this in a judgmental way, but they, they, they just bowed, bowed, bowed out. It was, it, was too, it was too much for them. They, they couldn't handle it. They didn't want to do it, um, which, is, which is fair enough. And I remember looking at Alan, and I remember thinking, I wonder if Alan is just going to be like, you know what? I've got a new book deal. I, you know, I've got a lot of work to do. I'm a, I'm a lecturer. I'm a, I'm a professor. You know, I think I might just stay back and, and do some more study, some more Greek study and exegesis. Um, you students can go do this walk-up stuff. Uh, that's below me. But instead, Alan did the complete opposite. I remember Alan, he's just like, like, I love him, but he's a bit of a geeky guy. I remember he just honestly led us as a team, prayed for us before we went, and then led us down dark alleys and went and talked to people about Jesus and loved them to death. And I remember like, man. And it made me respect him so much more and listen to him so much more carefully when I was being trained at college. 
You see, the Apostle Paul says, if you want to discern between true and false teachers, look at their character and see if they're, if they're humble rather than arrogant or conceited and proud and think they know everything. That was another, I guess, uh, pattern that I think maybe you probably find when you come across people who, who are godly and mature is they know, know a lot, but they also realize they don't know much. And, you know, I think the more you grow in godliness, the more you realize there's so much more to learn about the Bible and about God. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. So Paul says, look at their character, look at their, if they're humble or arrogant. And then also he says, look to see if they have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words. What he's saying here is look to see if they like to just argue about the Bible or actually put the Bible into practice. You see, I don't know about you, but over the years I've come across people who in particular like to uh, have this unhealthy interest in controversial theories. And I think it all comes, it starts maybe in a good place. They have a question when it comes to the Bible. You know, maybe they're like, where do the dinosaurs fit in? Like, I'm not too sure. Uh, there's lots of good questions. And there's lots of questions that the Bible is silent on. And I think as a result, though, is people will look for that question and think, I need to find the answer. If not, I cannot believe in God and, and Jesus. And as a result, though, they then get on this rabbit hole and they start to get all these theories, which a lot of people disagree with and think are rubbish, but they hold to and therefore they want to argue in front of everyone. And all of a sudden, people start to want to argue about one issue all the time rather than wanting to talk about Jesus. And I, I know, another pattern I've come across, I don't know if this is for you as well, I found this over the years, is people who tend to think like one controversial interpretation of the Bible, they, they tend to like a few more. They, they tend to, I was talking to this guy the other day, and, and he, he began with saying that he doesn't really believe that God is in complete control of the future. And then he, the next thing I found out is he actually doesn't believe that the Bible has got no error in it or it's actually God's Word. And, and then I found out some, some more things. It just kept going, going, going. Because like he, he found one solution to a tough question and then he thought, all right, I can, I can find answers to every tough question. And it just leads to quarrels and he just wanted to argue about it all the time. Possible says, if you're true or false teacher, see their character, see if they're just constantly quarreling and got an unhealthy interest in that. And then finally, he says here, if you look at the character of a teacher, have a look at how they get along with other people. See if uh, what they teach results in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and, and constant friction between people of a corrupt mind. What he's basically saying here is, you can, basically, you judge a tree by its fruit. You can see whether or not they love God's people and want to bring unity to God's people, or whether or not they want to bring division and want to bring friction. Now, before we move on to the third on motivation, there's one thing I quickly want to say here, and that's, there's a difference here, or there's something I want to point out, is that what the Apostle Paul is not saying here is that a true teacher is someone that will never have conflict or never have any friction with anyone. And you're probably thinking, well, how do I know that? Think of Jesus. You know, he had a lot of friction with the Pharisees and the religious dudes. There was constant times. As a matter of fact, think about how he died. It was because of the fact that the Pharisees didn't like him and crucified him for his teaching. You see, a true teacher, because they love people, will point out sin and point people to the truth. And some people won't like that. And as a result, there will be constant friction and there will be conflict at times. But I think what the Apostle Paul is saying here is that a true teacher doesn't enjoy that, doesn't long for that. You know, he doesn't want to have conflict with people. Matter of fact, that's the opposite of what they want. I can tell you, as, a, as, a, as the pastor for this year, like I've, I've had conflicts with different people. And what I want to say to you is, I have conflicts with people because, for two reasons. Number one, uh, because um, you guys are sinful. And then number two, because I'm sinful. 
Um, and what I want to say is, like, I don't enjoy it. I don't long for it. I, I hate it. I hate it, and I know there's times when I bring it on, and there's times when you bring it on. But the reality is this, is if we love Jesus, and we want to kill sin, and we want to bring glory to Him, there'll be times where there'll be friction, but we shouldn't long for that, and we should want to try and avoid it at all costs, and learn from it when we come across it. But nevertheless, it's important that we don't go too far and think a true teacher is one who doesn't have conflict, but they're just one who doesn't long for it. Doesn't long for it. Look at the character of a teacher. Thirdly, Apostle Paul says, look at their motivation. Look at their motivation. What he says here is, in regards to these teachers in um, Ephesus, he says, they have a constant friction between people of corrupt mind and who have been robbed of the truth and think that godliness is means to financial gain. You see, what was going on is that the teachers in Ephesus were teaching so that they would get rich. They were teaching, hey, people, give money to us, and that will bless you, or different things, so that they would be blessed and have money. And the Apostle Paul says this is evil. He says a teacher should teach for the sake of others and not for the sake of themselves. Not for the sake of themselves. And so, as we want to avoid corruption, we want to pursue the truth. And how do we pursue the truth and discern between truth and lies? Look at a teacher's content, look at their character, look at their motivation. Look at their motivation. Now, maybe some of you are thinking, okay, Joel, I get that. Now I can discern how you teach, discern your character, your content, your motivation, and fair enough. The other thing I want to point out, though, is the truth is, is that every single one of us in this room are actually teachers. The only difference is, is that my platform is quite large, has some decorations on it, um, but you guys also have a platform. As soon as you open your mouth and start to talk about God, as soon as you start to live a life, you are, in many ways, little teachers. As soon as you have a family, you are a teacher. And so the question is this, is you, are you going to be a teacher that's going to point people to the truth? Are you going to be a teacher that is going to point people to the content of the word? Are you going to be one that is growing in character to be more like Jesus? And is your motivation going to be the glory of God and the good of other people? Because the truth is, when you're in your workplace, when you're in your home group, when you do evangelism, you're going to be a teacher. You're going to be a teacher. As I've been reflecting upon this, actually, as we've been doing the Discover course, uh, what's been a huge blessing is actually seeing how uh, we've got a, a lot of people on the evangelism team, or what we call the multiplication team. And what I love about those guys, and I think the reason, and girls, and the reason why I think they're gifted evangelists is because the truth is of these three things. They're good teachers. They point people to the Word, and like, they have good character. Like, I don't know if you've met some of the people on the multiplication team, guys like Ido or like Dan Page or uh, Ellie Clemens or um, even Chris Rothwell, like, and even Tim Matthew. They're like the nicest people in the world. Like, you, like you can't look at them and not smile. You know, it's because their character is trying to be like Christ. If we want to be a good teacher, we look at our content, our character, our motivation. So the first one, pursue the truth. Pursue the truth if you want to avoid corruption. But the second one is to pursue contentment, to pursue contentment. Let me read to us chapter, uh, chapter 6, verses 6 to 10. Apostle Paul says this. He says, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will get content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for, eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Basic summary of these few verses, Apostle Paul says, pursue contentment rather than pursuing money. Pursue contentment rather than pursuing money. And uh, if we're honest, 
I think this message is relevant to the church of Ephesus and it's just as relevant to us today. You know, if we're all honest, I think all of us think, not daily, but pretty often, you know, if I just had more money in my bank account, you know, if I just had that bigger house, if I, if I just had more money so I could buy that nicer car or so I can actually fix my car or I can actually have a car, or, or maybe if I just had some more money, I can get those clothes so I don't look like I look a bit better, or I bring some more joy, or I can buy that Xbox or different things. Like almost daily, each of us are thinking, if I just had a little bit more, if I just had a little bit more. You know, I think contentment is something that all of us know is a good virtue. And I think it's all of us something that we know we at times can struggle with, some of us more than others. But you know what's interesting here is the Apostle Paul talks about contentment, but what he doesn't do is, in verses 6 to 10, is he doesn't give us like two reasons as to why, we should be, why contentment's a good thing. But instead, he gives us two reasons as to why we shouldn't pursue money. Why we shouldn't pursue money. And we'll go through those two reasons, but I think it's quite simple. And that's because I think pretty much everyone in this room thinks contentment's a good thing. Like, yeah, contentment's a good thing. I should be content. But the pursuit of money, I don't think necessarily we're convinced is a bad thing. It's a bad thing. So the Apostle Paul gives us two reasons why we should avoid the pursuit of money. And the first reason is because it is a purposeless, frivolous pursuit. If you have your Bible, look at verse 6 and 7. Apostle Paul says this. He says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. I wonder if you've actually thought about this. Uh, I've, had, I've got two boys and so I've been there for when they're born. And when they're born, they're born naked. I don't know if you know that about children, but they don't come out with clothes on or a nappy. <laughs> no, you've got to figure out how to put that thing on. Um, and so when you're born, you're born naked. But I wonder if you've thought of it this way. And so when you're born, you, someone has to dress you. Someone has to dress you. But then also when you die, someone has to dress you. You see, like, the truth is, is we come into this world with nothing and we leave this world with nothing. And that's just the truth. But I think the truth is, is, on top of that, as Christians, we believe that this world is not all there is. We believe, yes, we come into this world with nothing and we leave this world with nothing, but that's okay because we believe in eternal life. We believe in eternal life to come and a better world to come. And so the Apostle Paul, in this verse, what he's basically reminding us is basically like the book of Ecclesiastes. He's just saying to us, like, life is short. Life is nothing. Remember the life that is to come. I don't know about you, but like, how, how often do we meditate and do we think about the future? Do we think about that heaven is to come? You know, how often are we trying to plan the next 30 and 40 years and trying to save so that we have security and, and comfort for ourselves and our family? How often do we actually plan and prepare for the next thousand, million years that is to come in heaven? Like, I wonder if we're too caught up on the now and think that this life is all there is, when the truth is, if you're a follower of Jesus, you believe this life is a preview of something better to come. See, Apostle Paul is saying, look, the pursuit of money, it's, it's pointless. It's, it's temporary. It's fleeting. Focus on the future. Focus on what is to come. Uh, when I was at um, Menai Anglican Church, was a, a church I love. I was there for about 10 years, uh, just before I came here. Uh, I had a friend of mine, uh, and uh, he was a really godly man. And I remember talking to him one time at this party, because I remember like a lot of people at that time and his friends were going on European trips. Uh, maybe it was that age, and so they were traveling over to Europe and uh, know, going to do all the touristy things that you do. And I remember talking to Dave and being like, hey, Dave, like, when are you going to go to Europe? You know, like, have you had your Europe time? Like, everyone seems to do that around here. And I remember him saying to me, Joel, I don't need to go to Europe. I remember him saying to me, I'm, con- I'm content where I am. And I, m- I remember him saying to me, you know what, Joel, heaven is going to be so much better than Europe. It's going to be so much better than Europe. 
And so I want to be faithful where I am now. And if I get there one day, that's great. It's not sinful to go to Europe. But that's not my pursuit. That's not my pursuit. Later on, uh, when I was talking to him, or I don't know if it was to him or someone else, I actually found out that he was someone that could afford to go to Europe. He had a high-paying job. Um, but instead of doing that, at the time, he also uh, had some parents who were in a lot of debt uh, and were going to lose their house. And so as a 20-year-old, he was actually helping paying off his parents' debt instead of going over to Europe for his own sake. And I'll never forget that. Heaven is better than Europe. Heaven is better than Europe. And we never forget that. Firstly, the Apostle Paul says here, look, the pursuit of money, it's a frivolous pursuit. But then secondly, he says here, it's also a dangerous pursuit. It's a dangerous pursuit. Look at verse um, 9 here. He says, Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is, the root, is a root sorry, of all kinds of evil. Some people, evil, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. In verse 9, when it says here, uh, harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction, that Greek word for plunge is the same word that is used to describe a boat capsizing or sinking. So, so once again, the Apostle Paul here is using shipwreck sort of language. He's trying to help us see the ruin and destruction that is to come when you love money. And, and the sort of language he's using here is quite vivid. It's quite intense, actually. Like, like look at it, verse 10 again. He says, uh, and some have pierced themselves with many griefs. Like, like you can translate that impaled themselves with many griefs. Like the Apostle Paul, he's doing his best job here in his language to point out to us that the pursuit of money, the love for money is a dangerous thing. It's a dangerous pursuit that can kill your faith, that it can make your faith corrupt and shipwrecked. But I, I wonder if we actually, I wonder if we actually, that's sunk into us if we're followers of Jesus. You know, I wonder if we actually think that. You know, even right now, as I say that the pursuit of money is a dangerous thing, like, I don't know about you, but part of me is like, well, you know, like, rock climbing is dangerous, you know? Like, that's it's not too bad. That, that's what makes it fun is the danger. You know, and I think the reality is Apostle Paul is more saying, you know, no, no, this is not dangerous like rock climbing. This is more dangerous like Russian roulette. If you don't know what that is, it's, I've seen it, I don't know, in TV shows where gangsters get a gun and a barrel, spin it around, take, oh, no, they take out all the bullets, and then they put one bullet in out of the six chambers, spin it around, and then put it to their head and pull the trigger and then pass it on. Like, 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 that's a dangerous game. And none of us in our right mind would play that. I wonder if we see the pursuit and the love for money, the, the desire to gain and so much. I wonder if we see it just, just as a dangerous thing. Just as a dangerous thing. I wonder if we think of that about the temptations and the griefs that come with, with lots of money. And how you compare yourself to other people because you don't have enough or maybe you have more than other people so you think you're better than them the entitlement that comes with it. The Apostle Paul says here, look, it's a, the pursuit of money is a dangerous thing. And you know what? Jesus said the same thing. You know, Jesus said you cannot serve two masters, both God and money. Both God and money. And so I wonder if we think that. You see, I can say to you, pursue contentment. I think about, yeah, I should do that. But when I say to you, don't pursue the love of money, I think it's harder for us to let that one go. 
Now, as I'm talking about money, I think it's really important here that I clarify a few things because I want to make sure that you don't think that I'm saying something that I'm not, okay? Um, Throughout church history, uh, the church has fallen into one or two mistakes when it comes to the teaching of money and how people should treat money, especially as Christians. And in particular, there's two errors that Christians just keep on falling into throughout history. And the two errors is this, is one is to think that money is incredibly evil, it is the worst thing in the world and we should have nothing to do with it. And the other error is to think that no, money is the greatest gift there is, and that if you have it, God has blessed you. To be specific with you, the two different types of errors that Christians have fallen into is what is known as, I guess, the poverty gospel, where if you're poor, then you're right with God, and that God loves you, and clearly God's blessed you because you're poor, and that's the righteous position to be in, and that you should have nothing to do with money or, or pleasures of this world. And then the other end of the spectrum is when people go, no, 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 the righteous position, the safe position of those who are rich. And so if you're rich, God has blessed you, and that's a good thing. And if you're poor, then you need to see if there's any sin in your life or different things. One is poverty gospel, and one is prosperity gospel. Over here in prosperity gospel, that's pretty uh, relevant, and uh, today in particular, there's lots of preachers that like to preach the prosperity gospel. Uh, One of my favorite, and I'd say that very loosely, and you understand in a second why, uh, prosperity preachers is a guy called Creflo Dollar. The reason why I think he's my favorite because his name has dollar in it, which just emphasizes to me what he's on about. Uh, this is a guy who literally asked his congregation to pay for his new jet that cost $60 million recently. And he preaches, if you give money to me, God will bless you. If you're rich, God has blessed you. God wants you to be rich. On the other end of the spectrum, it's not so relevant to, I guess, our time and history, uh, but is the other end, poverty gospel, to say, no, 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 money is completely bad, evil and wicked, and that what you need to do is you need to have as less money as you possibly can. Throughout church history, there's these guys, monks in particular, that thought, no, no, money's bad, sex is bad, food is bad, all, all these pleasures are bad, and that to be righteous is to be poor. And both are insults to the true gospel. God is a good God who gives gifts, doesn't want us to worship them, but he gives them to us to be enjoyed. We don't do all things to the glory of God, 1 Corinthians. At the same time, you also see Jesus. He wasn't a rich man and he went to the cross. And what you see here in particular is Paul's teaching on the wickedness of teaching for financial gain. You see, what God actually does teach us is that, you know what, money is a gift from God and we shouldn't treat it as it is God. Now, at the same time, Maybe some of you think, okay, Joel, well, how do I know if I'm on this pursuit to contentment rather than this pursuit for love and money? Well, two questions. Two questions. They're very simple, very practical. I could ask you more, but I don't have time. Two questions. Simple one's this. How do you spend your money? Well, how do I spend my money if I ask myself these questions? How do we spend our money? Uh, Pete talked about last week in terms of, I guess, uh, why we should give money to the church. And that's another reason why I got uh, Steve up here. So my question to you is, how do you spend your money in regards to giving to the church? But then also, how do you spend your money in regards to just being generous to those around you? Being generous to those in need, being generous in regards to hospitality. How do you treat your money? Is it, is it, is it yours that you've earned and entitled to? Or is it something that is a gift given to you from God? How do you spend your money? And secondly, then, how do you view your money? Is it, is it God's gift to you that he's blessed you with, with the job that you have and, and living in Australia with the income you have? Or is it something that you've earned and that you're entitled to? How do you spend your money? How do you view your money? Now, as I've been personally reflecting upon this, I think that second question in particular is incredibly important. Because you see, if you view money as something that you've gained, as something that you're entitled to, it's going to be incredibly hard to be content in life. Whereas if you view whatever money God has given you as a gift to you, 
it's much easier to be thankful and content. Uh, last year, as I was uh, studying at Bible College, we didn't have a lot of money, and so as a result, I was uh, doing some engineering work, which is what I did before I was a pastor, to try and help us um, pay for college and different things. And the way it worked is I'd do some uh, contract work, so I'd do some designs, and I'd get paid per design. And what was happening is that I wasn't content with the amount of money we were getting. I wanted a little bit more. And so I kept doing more designs and, st- and started doing less study at college. Uh, and throughout the year, I was just like wanting more, more, more struggling with contentment in regards to how I was getting paid at that job. Anyway, later in that year, we had a Christmas party. And at the Christmas party, my boss came up to each of us employees and gave us an envelope, and in it was $500. He gave that to us as a gift. It wasn't because he owed us any money. It wasn't because we were incredibly special employees, but because the business had been doing well, and he wanted to give us a gift. To be honest with you, on that day, I wasn't like, I deserve more. Like, you should have given me more than $500. You know, I was over the moon. I was like, $500 before Christmas, this is awesome. I wonder if we start to look at money as a gift rather than what we've gained and entitled to, if that will shape how we go at contentment. How we go at contentment. Friends, if we want to avoid a corrupt faith, if we want the church to avoid corruption, we need to pursue the truth and we need to pursue contentment. We need to pursue the truth and we need to pursue contentment. But the final thing I want to say before I close up is maybe some of you read this verse which says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And maybe you agree with that. Maybe you passionately agree with that. Maybe like Joel, the love of money leads to prostitution. It leads to slavery. It leads to greed. It leads to wars. It basically is is the roots of so many different types of evil. And, And maybe the question you've got is, why does God even have money? Like, why doesn't he just get rid of money? Why did he ever allow it to occur in the first place? Why doesn't he just completely get rid of it now? Like, what, what's the point? Why allow something that is the root of evil to exist? Wouldn't a good God get rid of all roots to evil? And friends, what I want to encourage you upon and point out to you is that God is a just God, yes. He's a good God, yes, who hates evil. But you know what? He's also a gracious God that, that works in the messiness of life. That, that works within the evil of life. And the truth is this, is that the, the, the solution to things such as money or alcohol is not to get rid of them. Because if that is the case, then the solution to most wickedness in this world would be to get rid of you and me. And yet God doesn't do that. He doesn't say, humanity's wicked, I'm going to get rid of you. And says, he says, no, no, humanity I love, I care for, I'm going to send my son into a corrupt world. I'm going to send my son who's going to be perfect, who's going to be betrayed by corruption by Judas, his closest friend, who's going to be crucified by corrupt men and women, and he's going to do all that to die for their corruption and to give them the offer of eternal life and forgiveness and the chance to live in a world which is free of corruption, free of no more tears, mourning, and pain. You see, that's the good news of the gospel. And friends, that is a gift to you if you believe and repent of your sin. That's how you get to heaven. It's not about if you're rich or if you're poor. It's about whether or not you follow Jesus and accept his gift of eternal life. See, the world will say to you that the life is about gain, where the scriptures say, no, it's about a gift. It's about a gift in Jesus Christ. We accept that, we follow him, and then we see that your whole life is a gift from him. How about I pray to close? Father God, we want to thank you so much how, that you are a generous God, that you are a God that sent your son Jesus into this world so that we may be forgiven for how we are selfish, how we pursue things for our own gain. Father, we just pray in particular that you help us to pursue the truth. 
Lord, I pray that as we listen to teachers such as myself or as we are teachers, Lord, that we may focus on content, character, and motivation. And then, Lord, when it comes to the pursuit of money versus the pursuit of contentment, may, Lord, may we be pursue contentment. May we be thankful for the gifts you give us. And may we realize that life is about a gift. It's not about gain. It's not about what we're entitled to, but it's about what you've given to us through your son, Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen.